All right, all you little ones have fun now. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Well, I'd encourage everyone uh, to continue uh, to lift uh, those, those kids up. Um, there are several decisions going to be made at the end of this week and the middle of next week. So we want to really be uh, fervent in our prayer. Also, we want to be fervent in our prayer for Jeannie. Uh, Jeannie is going to have her CAT scan on her brain to see if the radiation is helping. Um, what the doctors say will decide whether there will be further treatment or not. So uh, um, we want to pray. It would be really great is if a doctor said what cancer when they looked, but hey. <clears throat> That's how we're going to pray and, uh, and uh, just ask that the Lord would do his perfect work in her life. So that's coming up next Wednesday. So next Wednesday, I, we probably won't know anything by next Wednesday. That's when she has a CAT scan. But uh, that week sometime she'll, she'll hear and, and then they'll move forward uh, with the rest of the treatment. So a couple of things to uh, keep uh, fervent prayer on. Now, tonight, I invite you to open up the book of Numbers. We're going to take a look at Numbers chapter 14. We kind of went into it a little bit last week, and we're going to back up a little bit and, and move a little bit slower through that first part than what we did and uh, make sure we highlighted everything we need to highlight as we move forward. You'll remember where we find ourselves in the book of Numbers chapter 14 is at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the point of choice for the children of Israel, where they had to make a decision. Either we believe God, or we believe uh, that the giants before us are too big, and we can't win, and give up and go back home. Just like the children of Israel at Kadesh Barnea, they had real enemies, they were really afraid, there was real issues, life was hard, it was not going to be easy, and God wasn't going to make it easy. But listen... We face those same kind of giants in our life. For example, Jeannie Reynolds is facing hers right now. Now, she can listen to what the doctors say, and the doctors can tell her a bad report, just like 10 spies came back and said a bad report. There's no way we can do it. We can't make it. We can't win. We won't be able to have the victory. Or they can keep their eyes on Jesus Christ, right? Keep her eyes on the Lord. In Kadesh Barnea... Ten of the twelve spies kept their eyes on the giants. The sons of Anak. The Nephilim, spoken of in Genesis chapter 6. And really, nobody really knows what the Nephilim are all about. Except that, whoever they are and whatever they were about, it brought on the flood in Genesis chapter 7. And we see them again here in Numbers, and it had the people freaked out. The people were freaked out. Whether they're giants, just big people, you know, mighty mighty warriors, whatever it is, they were seriously, uh, we're not going. We're not. Now keep in mind, while they're saying that, where is the presence of God? Right above them. The Shekinah glory of God is over them. The presence of God that, that gives them bread every morning, that gives them light every night, that up until this point has provided for them in every imaginable way to get them where they are. But sometimes, truthfully, the things we face in life are get bigger than God. We allow them to cloud our vision of who God is and what God's able to do. And here's what Kadesh Barnea teaches us. It teaches us that faith does not come by sight. Children of Israel saw God every single day. But that didn't help them. The Lord declares to us that faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. That as we receive the word of God, for them, it was, it was a little bit easier for us. We have 66 books. They had four so far. But for them to receive the truth of God's word, what God had said, the experiences and things that God had done for them, and believe God's word more than they believe their eyes. That's not easy to do, is it? It's easy for some of us. It'd be easy for me to preach about. I could say up here, oh, yeah, that's, that's a piece of cake. That's, that's not a problem at all until you find yourself switching places with someone. 
Switch places with a, with a foster parent holding a child that absolutely knows beyond a shadow of a doubt if that child goes home, it could die and suffer even worse than it has so far. And you are powerless. What's that feel like? How big does that giant look? What if, what if you're like Jeannie Reynolds and you're sitting down at the doctor's trying to figure out why you're having headaches and the doctor comes out and tells you this bad report. You have cancer in your brain, cancer in your stomach, cancer in your lungs, cancer in your liver. Doesn't that look big? Sometimes the giants that come into our life aren't like the Anakim that we see in the scripture, but it doesn't mean that they can't cloud out for us the presence of God. What does the Bible tell us to do? The Bible tells us to meditate on the pure, the lovely, and good report. And when we, when we think about that, now, we can think about, well, that means to be Pollyanna and just see good. And, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. But let me tell you what's good and pure and lovely and of good report. The Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Peter. He climbs out the boat, and as long as his eyes were on Jesus, what happened? He walked on water. Is that possible? It, I don't know. I've never been able to walk on water. I tried a couple times. I went water skiing once. I wish I could have walked on water. <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you what happens when you fall water skiing, but it's bad, all bad. There's nothing good about it at all. So, but in order for Peter to walk on the water, in order for, for David facing Goliath when the rest of the nation was quaking in their boots and wouldn't stand... You had to be willing not to base your faith on what you see, but to base your faith on what you don't see. We've been studying 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians tells us in chapter 4 that we, we want to live our lives as though we see the unseen. Not putting our faith and trust in that which is temporary that we can see, but in that which is eternal which we cannot. Well, in that, there's a secret for overcoming the giants that we face and the giants that, that they faced. As you hold your fingers here in Numbers, come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, I think the writer of Hebrews, when we all get to heaven, we'll find out it's Paul. But until then, I have to say the writer of Hebrews. The, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So God wrote it. All right. <clears throat> Truly. Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. How does it begin? Listen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There's nothing tangible there. It's not a blind, empty faith because our faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So, so there are facts behind our faith. What are the facts behind our faith? The truth of God's word. Either you believe God's word or you don't. And the proof, folks, is in the pudding. Proof's in the pudding. Huh? The eating of the pudding. pudding. I always get that part wrong. I like to eat pudding. So here's how that works. Here's how that works. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jeannie Reynolds has faith. That she trusts her Lord and Savior. Because she has this incredible... uh, presence and peace and she's going to be ministering to the ladies in castleford on saturday what time is that uh, 11. 11 at castleford baptist community center, community center. Yeah. you're supposed to rsvp but just show up and say jackie sent you yeah. good luck with that but she's going to be ministering to them how's she able to do that how is it because she's somehow supernaturally more powerful than, than anyone else? No, it's because she has faith in what she can't see. She has faith in the word of God. That God's word is true and every man's a liar. That includes the doctors. Now, I'm not saying doctors don't have wisdom, but doctors do not have the ability to tell you when you're or if you're going to die. They don't. God is the one who holds our breath in his hand. And if he says it's time, it's time. And if he says it's not, it's not. 
And so we want to have that attitude. But listen, in Hebrews chapter 11, we drop down a little bit further in verse 6. And it says, now without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to please God without faith. What's the, what's the key? For he who comes to God must believe that he is. The beginning of faith. To believe that he is, that God is. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek. He is the rewarder of those who take his word and say, I, I'm, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe what the word of God says. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to step out of the boat. I'm going to like David face my Goliath. Or like the children of Israel, I, I want to face the giants. I don't want to freak out and run. I want to say, okay, th- this is a place where the Lord has brought me. And if he's brought me to this place, there's a plan and a purpose, and I trust him. He said, wherever you put the sole of your foot, it will be given to you. That's the promise he gave to the children of Israel. And here they are, the gateway to the promised land. The promised land, ready for them to go and take it. But they're a little bit afraid. They're beginning to freak out about the negative report that was brought. In chapter 13, verse 30, Caleb said, Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. There's a man living by faith. Not by what he sees, but by what he doesn't see. By holding on to the promise of God. God said we'd have it. Let's go. I don't care how big they are. I don't know how it's going to work. But I know God. He's right there. And he said he'd come with us. So let's go. But the people, they don't want to go. The people say, no, we can't. In verse 33 of chapter 13, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, that have come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. That's too big. Problem's too big. We can't make it. So chapter 14 begins. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. The people cried. What did they cry about? We talked about this last week. That God didn't make it easy. That God wouldn't remove the giants. That God wouldn't take away the circumstance. Why doesn't God take away the circumstance? Because God's Word declares to you and I that we... Human beings grow in the furnace of affliction. And apart from the furnace of affliction, we will not grow. So he allows affliction. Because in that affliction, our faith deepens. In that affliction, we have to make a choice. We come face to face with who we are really. Who am I really? Am I in the face of this affliction turning toward the Lord or am I in the face of this affliction headed back to Egypt? So only one of two places we go. We go to the Lord or we go back to Egypt. We seek all these other solutions and then at the end of all that solution seeking we we find out none of that's helping. Or have we gone to the Lord? Are we going to Him? Are we seeking Him out? Are we asking him for wisdom and guidance and direction? Because that's what he did for Joshua when they do finally enter into the land. But the people are weeping. He's not making it easy. What else? They're blaming God for the problem. It was God's fault. He just wants to bring us here to destroy us. And we'd all be lying if we said we ain't never felt that way before. I guarantee every one of us been in a place one time or another where we felt like, God was mad. God hates me. God's trying to destroy me. God, where are you? I've been in the, in the darkness of the night crying out with an angry voice to a God I thought would left me all alone. But what's the word say? I will never leave you or forsake you. So was God gone? No. Nope. And I was living by sight. Not by faith. I wasn't trusting his word. God wants us to trust his word. He says in the Psalms, I have exalted my word above my name. 
Do you know how high, highly exalted God's name was? Every time a scribe would write the name of God, he got a new pen, a new bottle of ink, he washed, put on fresh clothes, and then he'd write the name. Every time the name was written. There are some verses where the name is written several times. That's several baths, several ink pens, several ink wells. But they revered the name of God so highly, but they had a problem. They didn't hear what God said. He said, I exalt my word above all my name. Not that we shouldn't revere the name of God, but that we would realize God values his word. If he said it, he meant it. If he meant it, it will come to pass. And God wants us to live trusting, placing our faith and our hope and our trust in what he is going to do. They were living their life on their feelings. And our feelings lie. I used to tell the boys in football all the time, feelings lie. I am too tired, coach. I can't move. I'm going to die. No, I coached football for 10 years. Nobody ever died. They were always wrong. 100% of the time. They always had more than they thought they had. They could always do one more thing. They could always take one more step. Why? Because your feelings lie. My, I don't feel like doing this. Now that I would believe. Yeah, you don't feel like I could. I believe that's true. But if we live by our feelings, they're going to take us all kind of crazy places. We have to live by faith. Take God's word, apply God's word, live by God's word. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Keep that in mind. When God finally speaks in several verses, He's going to grant to them their request. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? And listen to what their worries were. That our wives and children should become victims. They were, they were afraid for their children. They were afraid that God didn't love their children. They were afraid that God brought them there to destroy their children. But that's not what God's, that's not the God I serve. That's not the God I read in the scriptures. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader to go back. So they were done following Moses. They elected their own leader to take them back to Egypt. All the while, under the Shekinah glory of God, in the presence of the Lord, so filled with fear that they were making every decision in opposition to what God wanted to do in their life. You ever been that afraid? That everything you do, wherever you turn, it's all wrong. Every, every step you take, it, it ends up being the wrong step. The Bible tells us this. Perfect love casts out fear. Who is perfect love? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is love he is light and in him is no shadow of darkness or turning God is love he is perfect love so we need remember how earlier we were bragging on the children of Israel because they wanted to be in the presence of the Lord more than they wanted to be anywhere else but now the presence of the Lord is kind of a scary thing so they want to go somewhere else somewhere other than the presence of God because the presence of God is hard and that's true. The presence of God is hard. It is also good and perfect. But it's hard. It's not easy. It was never intended to be easy. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. See, Moses and Aaron were older. We talked about that last week. Moses and Aaron are a little bit older. They know there's nothing we can do to help this crowd other than pray. We need to get on our face right now and pray. So Moses and Aaron are on the ground praying. But Joshua and Caleb, they're still young. They think they could convince this crowd. So Joshua and Caleb in verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, 
who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they said, this land that we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land flowing with milk and honey. And verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Now they thought they were rebelling against Moses. Or they were rebelling against leadership. But Joshua and Caleb understood what was going on. They're rebelling against the Lord. We do that too. How do we do that? Lord, this burden in my life is too heavy for me. Well then, something's wrong. You're wrong or the Word of God is wrong. The Word of God says that He won't give us any burden too hard to carry. He says, my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what the Word says. Now we may feel like we're being crushed under the load. But then we're living on feelings. Instead of faith. Trusting in the Lord. Putting our trust, our faith, everything that we are into Him. We don't want to rebel against the Lord. The, the Lord, folks, Jeremiah 29.11 is every bit as much for you as it is or was for the nation of Israel. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. It's either true or a lie. If it's true, then whatever we face, whatever comes into our life, it has come for a purpose. And it's going to be good. It might not feel good, but it's going to be good. God's going to see us through. And in the end, all the pieces are going to make sense. In the beginning, they don't. Sometimes in the middle, they don't. But they come together. And we just put our faith and our trust in what the Word of God is laying out for us. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Now, before it was Caleb talking, now we got Joshua talking. He's saying, those people that you're afraid of, they are our bread. The scripture would call it the bread of affliction. And when we eat the bread of affliction, we grow. Our faith grows. We grow. We we gain understanding of the Lord. We gain communion with the Lord. In every way, it works for our good and God's glory. The bread of affliction. They are our bread, man. Let's go. Let's take them. Let's go. Let's go. We can do this thing. Their protection is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. So picture it. Children of Israel, two and a half million. Big crowd. Two and a half million people. You got Joshua and Caleb shouting out at, the, at this mob that's, that's going crazy. All of a sudden the mob says, let's stone them. You ever seen a two and a half million person mob? You heard the mob rules, right? And the mobs just get that mob mentality and they do whatever they're going to do. So here the mob, it's just going crazy. They're reaching for stones. They're going to stone Joshua and Caleb. And right then, the glory of the Lord is in the midst of the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle's in the middle of the camp. They're meeting right around that tabernacle. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord that had been above, the Shekinah, it's in their midst. And everybody is quiet. Nobody's holding on to any stones now. Nobody's thinking about throwing anything. And certainly nobody's thinking about saying anything. They're just there in the presence of God. And look what God does. Then the Lord said to Moses. He didn't talk to the people. He talked to Moses. The people are all listening as the Lord speaks, and he says to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? With all the signs that I have performed among them, 
How long will they not believe? I think there had been a time or two the Lord had to shout or whisper one or the other that to me. How long will you not believe me? How long, Jack, is it going to take for you to, to actually get this? That faith has a working clothes, man. It's not just words. Anybody can say, I believe. Living, I believe, is a totally different matter. Anybody can say, I love. Living, I love, is a totally different matter. Words are cheap, man. But when we put working clothes on it, when our faith causes us to move, to trust, then that's really something. And the Lord says, how long will they not believe? I mean, there are times for every one of us, we feel at one time or another, this problem's too big for God, or God's too busy, or God's not watching, but that's never true. It's never true. God's always watching. He always knows. He is always there. And He wants us to ask ourselves that question. How long will you not believe me? We had uh, Sunday morning, Sherry, um, I don't remember Sherry's last name, Coates. Sherry Coates, we've been praying for Sherry Coates for a long time. Before Sherry got saved, um, Sharon Welch called me and said that her friend had been diagnosed with cancer and wanted me to go see her. So I went down to the hospital while she was having her exploratory uh, surgery to find out how bad the cancer was. Uh, While I was down there with her, I think the doctors gave her six weeks. I think that was the initial uh, doctor's report. Uh, I don't know how you classify that, good report or bad report. I put it on the bad report side. And here she is, and she don't know the Lord, and she's despairing. So I visited with her and, and prayed with her, and the next Sunday she came to church. That next Sunday I happened to be gone, and Fritz was here, and she came up and asked for prayer for cancer and Fritz said to her but well do you know Jesus Christ is your savior and she said no I don't and so she prayed to ask Jesus Christ into her life and her husband with her and then for the next several weeks she began to undergo the the treatment different chemotherapy and it wiped her out there was one time I don't know maybe three or four weeks ago she was sitting up here in the church just crying and she was done. She was like, I, I can't do another day. Was that true? No. Felt like it though, huh? But what do our feelings do? They lie. Sunday, she's done with her last treatment, and the doctors say, it's all gone. And the Lord says, so how long before you believe me? Well, I can roll back and say, well, but God, you know, a few years ago, we, we put, we believe stickers everywhere in the church. We had them all around us and we were praying for our, our pastor's wife who had cancer and we were lifting her up and we believed, we knew that you could make it all go away. And he did. But he didn't do it my way took her home and we missed her and we get angry and we say well what was the point what was the whole point of believing it's learning to trust me the Lord said but you don't believe I have Cindy's best in mind she's with me you don't think that's best what's wrong with you people Because that's how we are, huh? I don't know the last time you stayed up and watched the news, but this place ain't all that great. Anytime somebody gets to leave here and go home and be with the Lord, I don't think that's second place. It ain't. But we have to walk by faith and not by sight. So the Lord speaks to Moses. Hey, Moses, how long will these people not believe? Verse 12, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater greater and mightier than that. I wonder what that was like for the people to hear. For God to be, now, I don't know. 
<laughs> Moses, but that's a great testimony when we, when we get to what Moses says. But check it out. There's all the people listening, and God says, I'm just going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to start over with you, Moses. I am so done with these bunch of complaining people. Yeah, but listen, this is so beautiful. Check it out. So awesome. And then Moses said to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land, and that they, they heard that you, Lord, are among these people, and that you, Lord, were seen face to face, and, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations will, which have heard of your fame will speak. And they'll say, because the Lord's not able to bring this people to the land that he swore to give them. Therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken. And he goes back to when this happened the last time. In the book of Exodus. And he begins to recite for him the same conversation that God had had with Moses one other time. Let this be said of you, he spoke, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now keep in mind, folks still today, side note, folks still today like to talk about a generational curse. Listen, here's the truth. Kids learn from their parents. In the book of Ezekiel, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel said, No more will it be said, my father ate sour grapes and my teeth fell out. What's that mean? God's saying, don't say, I'm in a generational curse and I had to be this way because my dad was. God's saying, no, you make your own choices. The important phrase that's being used here in the Hebrew is that the Lord visits them. He visits the iniquity on the children. That means that as those children are walking forward, there is God in their presence. Even as He did with the Canaanites for 400 years, giving them opportunity to repent. God was there. They didn't repent. But He visited the iniquity on the children. He is there in that place. Ready, even as He's he's speaking, to be long-suffering, abundant in mercy, and forgiving iniquity. In verse 19, he says, So pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. So, see what happened. God said, I'm wiping out all these people. I'm starting over. Moses, he immediately intercedes for the people. Immediately. Now, he's got to be just as frustrated as anybody else, don't he? I mean, he's, he's got to be pretty bummed. But he loved them. He loved the people. He loved those complaining, stinking little brats. He loved them so much that he interceded in their behalf. Have you ever asked the question, what is the point of prayer? I mean, why do we pray? God's sovereign. His will will be done. He's ultimately going to do what He's going to do. What what power do I have in any of it? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever wondered, what is the purpose? What is the the whole deal behind prayer? What's it all about? What's God doing in in this prayer? How does this whole prayer thing work? Well, put it to rest right now. And read the next verse. So the Lord said, I have pardoned, how? According to your word. So did Moses' prayer change something? Something occurred. Listen, we don't always understand the the relationship between the eternal sovereign God and our prayers. We don't always understand how it all works. Sometimes we think it's like a big game that's being played in heaven and, and prayers are part of it. But listen, listen, God wants us to understand something. He wants us to realize That we should pray as if life and death, heaven and hell, would be decided by our prayers. That's how he calls us to pray. And if you ask the question, does it do any good? Just come back to the book of Numbers and read 
Numbers 14, 20. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. As you prayed, Moses, I forgave. That's pretty incredible. That's a pretty incredible thing that that Moses has done. A pretty incredible thing to see God doing and a pretty incredible thing for us to stop neglecting. Because that's what we do. You want to take a look at what the price of revival is? Revival in a community, revival in a church, revival in your life? Go through the scriptures. Go through history. Find a revival that didn't start in a prayer closet. You'll never find one. Find a revival that didn't begin with years and years of people gathering together and praying. Kathy and I learned it firsthand when we were working with youth ministry in Yucca Valley. We were banging our head against the wall. We had a big youth group. I inherited a youth group uh, somewhere in an area of 90, 95 kids, high school. And we were banging our head against the wall and frustrated and, and wanting to see these kids really catch up with the, all the discipline and all the different issues that come up in youth. And we're, we're frustrated and and. And I remember finally, I don't know what happened, it had to be from the Lord. The Lord directed me and all the leadership that we had in youth ministry, all the different, mostly Bible college students that were helping out, that every single Monday we'd pray for those kids by name. And we'd always start with the ones that were always on the top of the list. You know, the ones that you celebrate if they decided not to come to church that day. And immediately... I promise you, immediately, the, the next time after we started praying, we saw things change. It was never the same again. It was never the same. And we have opportunity. We have opportunity to pray every Thursday morning. Church is open for prayer. We have opportunity Tuesday evenings at 6 at John's place for people to gather for prayer. Every Sunday night, the Sunday night service ends with about 20, 25 minutes of open prayer and sharing, an opportunity to, to flex our spiritual muscles and all those opportunities we have. But if we want to move forward... And really understand what it is to walk by faith and not by sight. You cannot neglect prayer. Can't do it. He calls his people to pray. There's a reason for it. And maybe we've experienced prayer meetings and prayer opportunities that are boring. I'm sorry. Sometimes you're tired. You're in God's presence. You feel comfortable. You go to sleep. I don't take it personal when people fall asleep when I'm preaching. I figure they like being in, in, in a place where the Spirit of God is moving and, and they needed to crash. Let them crash. Just don't bring your pillow. <laughs> but, you know, that stuff has never bothered me. It doesn't bother me that at home at night when we, I mean, Kathy and my wife and I, we pray at night. I don't even know how many times a prayer never got finished because I'm asleep. I wake up in the morning and think, did I don't think I ever said amen. What happens is that that whole night count as a prayer? We have opportunity to pray. God wants us to pray. So we're going to start a new ministry, and we wanted to let everybody know about it tonight. We're going to start something that we did in, at JS. We're going to bring it here. Uh, it's called Warriors on the Wall. Warriors on the Wall gives everybody or anyone an opportunity to sign up for an hour of prayer every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year the goal would be that we had someone on the on the wall of prayer praying for our church our members our community our people 24 hours a day the reality is there's always holes usually about one and two in the morning those are tough ones to fill but we're going we're gonna to start. We want to encourage everyone to be looking for that and thinking about maybe sometime a day. One hour, one day a week. One hour that you can say, you know, I can do, I can stand watch, you know, 3 o'clock Monday afternoon. And from 3 to 4, 
I'm going to pray for our church, a community, and the people who are sick, and the things that are going on, and and before long, it doesn't take you very long to to pray. Your time is up, and you know it. Four o'clock, somebody else is standing watch. It's a neat opportunity, and so uh, we'll we'll be getting some things out. Hopefully, within the next week, for for giving folks an opportunity to stand on the wall and and pray for the body and and pray for God to move. Isn't that how the Lord moves? Every single time. That's how God does it. So we're going to be we're going to be getting that going. We're excited about it. So look for further opportunity to get plugged into that. So the Lord said, "I pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these 10 times and have not heeded my voice." They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. I love that verse. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. He has a different spirit. He has a spirit of faith. He has a spirit of power. He doesn't have a spirit of fear. We're not called to have a spirit of fear, are we? Spirit of power, sound mind, power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in us. We want to be like Caleb, man. People of a different spirit. People who, even though we face the hard things in life, it doesn't mean that they're going to be easy, but we trust God. We believe. And it's not just words. It's the truth of our actions. Verse 25, now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow, turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. So first, God speaking to Moses and the people here. Now he's focused in. Moses and Aaron, he's giving them directions. And he says, this is what you're going to tell the people. I'll give them what they said. Watch what you say. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. Word of God declares that. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Oh, would that we died in the wilderness or died in Egypt. And so the Lord says, okay, you tell the people what they said in my hearing. That's what I'll do. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Now listen, I want you to understand how remarkably horrific this is. From this moment forward, every day, 90 funerals. Every single day for 40 years. Until they're all gone. Every single day. Isn't that a heartache? Did it have to be that way? But that's what unbelief does. That's what it does. That's what works in our life. It, It robs us. It destroys us of any joy. It takes everything we have. And God gives them what they want. That's going to happen one other time. We're going to come to the end of the millennial reign of Christ where the, Jesus Christ has ruled and reigned for a thousand years of perfect peace. And everyone will have experienced this. Now, the church, those who are saved, we will be ambassadors with Christ. We're not on the table in the, in the millennial reign. We are already ra- raised up to the glorified bodies. But for those who came through the tribulation period and entered into the kingdom and survived for a thousand years of perfect peace, Satan's going to be loosed for one season. And he's going to gather an army in rebellion against the Lord that cannot even be counted. Now, there's going to be a lot of people on the earth during the millennial reign. Especially if people live for a thousand years. How many kids could you have if you lived for a thousand years? How many kids could you have if you lived for a thousand years and felt good the whole time? So, 
We have this huge number. And listen, ultimately, what does a millennial prove? The millennial reign of Christ proves, first, man is not a product of his environment because he lived in a perfect environment and he still rebelled. Second, that God will give man what he asks for. What are they asking for? We will not be ruled by you. What's the name of that place? Hell. Hell is the absence of God. That's what it is. He just gives them what they ask for. They just don't really understand that what they're asking for is beyond any type of imagination how bad it is. The Bible says everything good comes from God. So hell is the absence of everything good. It's fire without light. Burning without heat. It's hell. So here he gives them what they're asking for the same way. In verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore that I will make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be the victims, I will bring in, and they will know the land which you have despised. He said, all the little ones that you said I was going to kill all your babies... They're going to have the land. But everybody 20 years old and up, you're all going to die in the wilderness. 90 funerals a day until they come to Kadesh Barnea the second time at the end of Deuteronomy. We'll get there soon. That's not funny. But as for you... But as for you, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years. And bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land. Forty days. For each day you bear your guilt one year. Namely, forty years you shall know my rejection. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You shall know my rejection. You reject me for 40 days. I reject you 40 years, a year a day. That will be the price you pay. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in the wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complained against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. The ten bad report spies died right there. That was a start. Ten right now. The ten who went out and saw in the presence of God and, and would not experience what God had for them. They died in that place. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, they remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. They were the two spies who came back and said, hey, guys, we can do this. Then Moses told the words to the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. So now the people are sorry. Oh, no, we messed up. And they rose early in the morning and went to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Oh, it's too late. They said, Hey, Lord, okay, we're, we're, we're sorry, we're wrong. And now, before they sinned because they didn't believe the promise, now they're going to have the sin of presumption. Oh, okay, Lord, well, we, 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 okay, so we'll just ignore everything you just told us. And we'll go in anyway. And you'll go with us and we'll just pretend none of this ever happened. It doesn't work that way. Moses said to the people, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? This will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. Don't go. God told you what's going to happen. That's how it's going to be. God expects us to take the word that he's given to us and act upon that word. 
When they rejected the promise of everything in the promised land where the sole of their foot touched, then God said, now you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And you can repent, and God forgave. Didn't God forgive them? The very, the very first way it started was God saying, I forgive them. By your word, Moses, I forgive. But is there consequences to our choices? And just because there's consequences to our choices does not mean you're not forgiven. That's just how it works. And these are the consequences that they have before them. And just ignoring them and saying, well, I'm going to pretend that consequence doesn't matter and I'm just going to go forward. Now I'm going to have faith. That's not faith. It's presumption. Faith is putting trust in what God's word says. Presumption is saying, well, I messed up and this is what I think God ought to do. So I'm just going to believe. I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore everything and I'm just going to believe that it's going to happen. And by positive confession, I'm going to, we're going to go into the land and, and take the land. It doesn't work. It's a sin of presumption. You do what God says, how God says it. You do it another way, God's not in it. If God's not in it, then you are in a bad spot. We want to go with God. We want to be in His presence. Moses said, For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and and you shall fall by the sword. Why? Because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Where was the presence of God? You remember when the children of Israel were supposed to move? When the presence of God moved, right? So God had told the children of Israel, Okay, messed up, that's fine. We're going into the wilderness. The presence of God went back up over the tabernacle and moved out toward the wilderness. And the children of Israel got up and said, We don't want to go that way. We're going to go this way. And they walked right into to destruction. They still haven't learned anything. They still haven't learned. Now they're trying to show faith. But faith in what? It's, it's not faith in anything. It's not obedience. It's not obedience to what God has said. It's just saying, okay, I'm going to positively confess that we're going to have this. It doesn't work. You can say, if you are sick and you say over and over in your head, I am healed, I am healed, I am healed, that doesn't make you healed. Who is the healer? God. Period. Doctors aren't healers. Surgeons aren't healers. God's a healer. God brings healing. Sometimes he uses doctors. Sometimes he uses surgeons. Sometimes he uses medicine. Sometimes he doesn't use any of that. But he's the healer. Not my positive confession. And this is what they're, this is what they're guilty of in verse 44. Look what it says. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses left the camp. Once upon a time, when God said, you can have the promised land, but I won't go with you, they said, we don't want the land without the Lord. And now they're turning their back on the Lord and trying to get the land on their own. How the mighty have fallen, right? How does it begin? Lack of faith. Not believing God's word. Sometimes when you find yourself falling from grace... You're stumbling and tripping and tumbling down this hill and you start just doing whatever you think God wants you to do instead of going back to where you fell. What did he tell the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation? Repent and return and do again your first works. Go back where you got off track and get back on track. But these people, they're just presuming that they know what they're going to do and they take off and the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah they got whooped all who went got whooped and now they're heading into the wilderness and they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years just like God said and in that 40 years in the wilderness they still have opportunity for victories they still have opportunity for growth But it's different now. They're never going to reach what was possible. Well, God's not finished with them. He's still going to do. But they're never going to reach what was possible for them. Because when they came to Kadesh Barnea, 
their moment of truth, they fail. And you and I are going to go there too. If you haven't been there already, you will be. And when you come to that place, when you come to Kadesh Barnea and you're faced with your giant, whatever it is, believe God. Don't believe what you see. Trust Him. And He will deliver you from your enemies. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We just come before you, Father God, and we thank you for the truth of your word. But God, your word, as we study it and as we read it, Father, it it gives us opportunity, Lord. It gives us opportunity to to hear. But now, God, you, you need to help us apply. Father, let us plug this into our life, that we would realize that It is impossible to please God any other way than to believe Him, to trust Him. We must have faith to please God. In that faith, we believe that God is. He is who He said He was. He is bread of life. He is living water. He is our healer, our shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is everything we need. We must believe that He is. And then we must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Those who apply the word that God gives. And allow their faith to work. For as James said, faith without works is dead. We must believe that you will keep your promise. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again. I will never leave you or forsake you. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. God, help us to take your word, apply your word, believe your word. And above all, to trust you with everything that's within us. And Father, when we come to our Kadesh Barnea, when we come to that crossroads in our life where you are are standing before us saying, come with me and believe. But the world is saying you can't do it and there's no hope and and this is it and this is the end and there's, there's no way out. Father, help us look at you and not the storm. Help us seek the peace of your eyes. And as we walk on that water, let us lay hold of you. For you are everything we need. Father, help us, enable us, Lord Jesus, that we would not forsake prayer, but that we would learn I don't know always how prayer works. I just know prayer works. And that you want us to pray with all our heart, with everything that is within us. And as we pray, you want us to trust. You want us to trust you, for you know what you do. Oh, Lord God, go before us. Give us victory at Kadesh Barnea. Equip us to pray for the saints. And bring your revival. The revival in these last days. 
maybe in the last generation, bring your revival in us, around us, and through us. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close uh, uh, with worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. I'm not sure if we got anything tonight. We got anything tonight for grub? Was that a yep or a nope? We got grub, so it's a surprise. So it's right outside. We invite you to hang out and fellowship with us. God bless you guys. And go in peace.
Father God, we thank you as far as the east is from the west. We thank you for new beginnings and fresh starts. So teach us to walk in your ways, O Lord, that we might have the heart of understanding, the heart of wisdom, as we desire to glorify you in all we do. Go with us from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.